Welcome to the world's greatest martial arts tournament, DOA. Fights can happen anytime, any place, against anyone. No weapons are allowed in a DOA fight, except the human weapon. Get ready, fight! Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of DOA, Dead or Alive. Oh God, this is gonna hurt. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. You wanna play, little girl? Hosted by Arnie. God, I cannot wait to kick his ass. Justin. You will win, DOA. You're the best in the world. And Stuart. Each of you has been individually selected because you represent the best fighting style in your specialized field. Soon, you will get a chance to prove that you're the best fighter in the world. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. I alone determine my destiny. Listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, let's get this game started for all of you. DOA style. Bring it on. Today we're discussing DOA. Dead or Alive, starring Jamie Presley, Holly Valance, Sarah Carter, Natasha Malta, Devin Aoki, directed by Corey Yoon. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and now that I have your attention, let me introduce you to the future. Which I guess is me, Stuart. (laughs) And this is Justin. Can I ask right off the bat why we need an abbreviation and then the actual words of that abbreviation as a title shouldn't it just be doa not to mention doa stands for dead on arrival yeah i actually thought we were reviewing the dennis quaid film from the 80s which i'd much rather be here to talk about right now dennis quaid meg ryan that wasn't that good it's better than this (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah to be settled i guess now welcome back to video games another fighting game one i Surprise, surprise, never heard of until I went over to Arnie's house to play it last week. And you know what? I'm going to just say, I struggled with this one. I found out I actually like fighting games. You know, you hit buttons and you can have some fun punching your friend in a virtual way. But I sucked at this game. You sucked so badly that I literally took my French bulldog and put him on my lap. He was licking my face. I couldn't see the screen. (laughs) I still won. (laughs) Yeah, I had such a good time with Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, particularly Tekken, because at least half the time you were down on the mat. You know, like I could get some kills in there, but no. There was a lot of defense moves. I kept doing this trick where like, instead of punching or fighting, I would stand there and talk smack. (laughs) And I was like, after a while, like this is very not helpful. I would just be like, Zach is in this movie, all attitude and nothing to back it up while you punched me. Dead or Alive was a different kind of fighting game in that Punching isn't always the best thing to do, especially as you get more into the sequels. 
you can actually counter the punch and hurt the person throwing the punch. It's focusing a lot more on holds and on throws. And so since I was doing a lot of close combat fighting, I had a real good time that day. I felt like <laughs> king of fighting games after feeling pretty bad. Tekken, you were kind of beating me up a little, and I'm like... This is not making me feel good. I'm the gamer here, and you're at least 50-50, if not a little up on me. I think I was a little up on you, but yeah, we switch over to Dead or Alive, and I was dead. Never <laughs> alive. I don't think I won one single game. You picked up on what took me probably a few years to pick up on, because in hindsight, I've always looked at DOA series as that fighting game for hardcore gamers, because they know what they're doing. Like you said, Tekken and Street Fighter is kind of fun because you can pick it up and have a few fights and put it down. And you don't have to know the moves, but if you do, it helps out a little bit. DOA, I always got my ass kicked and I never had fun playing it. So I just refused to even pay attention to the property <laughs> moving forward in the you know late 90s. Yeah, I agree. It sucked. And I was just like, well, why is this even a thing? You know, like, no one likes to lose. I had not played DOA until I sat down with you, lest anyone think I have a hands up. Except I did play a game when Marjorie got a PlayStation back in 2000. And when I started getting back into console gaming, I'd go down to the video store and rent games. And there was Dead or Alive extreme beach volleyball this is all i knew doa for was that i had played some anime volleyball game on the playstation one maybe it was the ps2 with this highly polyagonal jiggle and these <laughs> women there yeah here's the thing so we play this game and independent of the fact that i had my ass handed to me i'm like this doesn't feel very distinct we played the game as it came out in 1996. That's two years after Tekken and several years after Mortal Kombat. And I'm thinking there's nothing novel about this one that makes it feel like a step forward. And then, yeah, when you break out this sequel <laughs> and like half the time I'm like, I felt like I put a quarter in a peep show. There's a girl on the bed and I can dress her or watch her sleep. I'm like, this doesn't feel like gameplay that I know video games for. That was Dead or Alive Extreme Venus Vacation. <laughs> that was the name of it, huh? Yeah, nobody fought anybody. There were some beach games where girls in bikinis would like have butt battles and volleyball and total TNA fest. And it turns out there was an option where you could enable swimsuit wardrobe malfunctions. Ah, yes. So did they have like fetish expansion packs that you could purchase for your specific fetish, you know? Here's the thing is that one was hard to get. I knew Stuart needed to see the volleyball side of things. He couldn't just see the fighting side. Yeah, the TNA, I think, is what gives this series whatever. It's novelty. Yeah, here's a little bit of history is it was the company Temco that made Virtua Fighter and Virtua Fighter was around the same time as Tekken started and things. And they decided to go a little bit different. And one of the funniest things about that 1996 DOA, it was pretty bland. And I'm realizing that all of these fighters, while there are different gameplay mechanics and there's different characters, this one felt like it had the least distinct characters. There was no big green monster. There was no robots or anything. But what it did have, even in that first version, was pixelated jiggle. <laughs> the women would win like their breasts would bounce around. And it turned out that was what people glommed onto with the first one. Mm. And so the company said, let's lean into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even the male characters felt very androgynous. I played some elf looking thing that I'm like, hmm, I <laughs> felt like 
to the game's credit, perhaps it was, if you were a young female gamer, a game you could play where you would see lots of female representation. But yeah, by the time you played me, what iteration of the game was it by the time we played what we played? That was Dead or Alive 5, but keep in mind, much like Street Fighter, there's about four or five releases of each version. Mm -hmm. Dead or Alive Ultimate, Dead or Alive Hardcore, Dead or Alive Millennium. But we were playing Dead or Alive 5 Ultimate, and it was... Fun. I mean, I had fun playing it. I enjoyed the game. But yes, Venus Vacation was the third in that series that started with the Extreme Beach Volleyball. It was not released in the States. I did have to go a little bit further to get this one. The previous ones have all been released stateside. A Temco employee on Twitter said, but Temco has then disavowed the statement, but it sounds really true, that the political climate in the U.S. is not one where this game would be well-received. And while it's doing amazing numbers in Asia, mm. it's just not something that right now in the Me Too movement and wanting to put forward powerful, non-sexualized female characters like Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel coming up. Right. This is probably anti that movement. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like at first you might be like, wow, this game is the most female centric. And then by the time we're playing what we're playing, I'm like, oh, but it's all exploitation. And so if you're going to make a movie out of that, I think that's what you have to go for. You have to make it a TNA, Skinamax kind of affair, which is what it looked like when I saw the trailer for this film. It's what I fully expected. I mean, it's starring one of my favorite actresses from the 90s in that I had a huge crush on her, Jamie Presley. I had all her Playboy issues. I loved her in that Jerry Springer movie. <laughs> uh, okay, my head's reeling. I know her from My Name is Earl. Like, she did things before then? She first caught my eye when I saw Can't Hardly Wait, and I was like, that girl has something. Something a little trashy, something a little I like. And then she did Ringmaster, the Jerry Springer movie, and I was in love. <laughs> And then she did Joe Dirt. Yeah, she pops up in Joe Dirt. She's in Not Another Teen Movie as kind of a bitchy cheerleader. Kind of always the same note, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Kind of trashy hot. Mm-hmm. Focus on the hot. So given that she'd done Playboy and everything, I expected this to be a Skinamax romp. I'd not heard of it until it was on the list. I didn't know this movie existed, obviously. By the time of My Name is Earl, which was a couple years before this and still going at this time, I'd lost track of Jamie Presley, got married, was not... <laughs> allowed to bring home her newest films. <laughs> I was going to say, as fixated on Hollywood starlets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's also a time I want to point out where there was an explosion of female-driven action films. A lot of them weren't successful, but that first Charlie's Angels film, which I think this really takes a cue from, and Kill Bill, which I also think it kind of wants to piggyback off of. It seemed like at that time we were ready for the female action hero, and then there was Catwoman and Ian Flux and all the flops, and we were like, well, maybe not. Let's table it for a decade. <laughs> yeah, this was described as Charlie's Angels meets Enter the Dragon. That is certainly what it would like to be. And I noticed an old friend when I was watching the opening credits. This is produced by the second video game maestro. He hasn't done as much as you've bowl, mm -mm. but Paul W.S. Anderson, he has his <laughs> fingers in this. I saw his name pop up and I, I started to wonder if there was some sort of relationship in real life between him and Jamie Presley. I got, got a little concerned about Mia Jovovich there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's creating this empire of kind of trash, a little bit of fighting, a lot of 
hot chick action. It's his brand. So it's not surprising that Anderson would be attracted to this material, want to bring it to the screen. By all reports, it looks like it cost about $20 million foreign money. It wasn't a Hollywood thing. This didn't even really get much of an American release. But it tried, and it was the first Western movie to film in these locations in China. They actually got into Red China and filmed on location there. Well, that might have something to do with the fact that the director is Corey Yoon, who I think American audiences know as the guy that directed Jason Statham in the first Transporter movie. We've reviewed that. I liked it quite a bit. Good action. And if you're going for good action without too much story and a little bit of humor... Seems like a good guy to bring. I think he might have gotten this gig, though, because what I know him from, what I, I don't know this guy, but, you know, he has the usual story of Hong Kong stunt guy who worked his way up to the director's chair. And then when he first came to America, he was tasked with giving Cynthia Rothrock one of her first gigs. So if you know who that is, at the time of early Van Damme and Seagal and... You know, all those low-list action stars. She was the novel blonde female action star. So this is a movie, I think, that's going to pay a lot of homage to blonde women kicking ass. He was one of the first directors of his type to be doing so. I remember Rothrock well. I was introduced to her because she did not one but two movies with Corey Haim. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, seriously. That can't have been good for anyone. <laughs> the first one was not bad. Yeah. All right, Arnie, so let's get into it. How about a plot? For DOA. Well, if you'd like that, I'd suggest that you perhaps write to Yoon or to Anderson <laughs> or maybe to one of the three credited writers, all of whom seem to give us... It has about as much plot as that Extreme Venus Vacation. And two of them work for Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> Very strange <laughs> resume here. One wrote Pretty Woman and that Pamela Anderson show VIP. That makes sense. <laughs> but Bill Nye the Science Guy? What was going on behind that set? Well, they needed somebody to explain the nanobots. <laughs> it's true. It took two writers to come up with that science explanation. So what am I talking about with nanobots? Well, DOA, Dead or Alive, is a misnamed fighting tournament where people don't actually fight to the death, mm. but just until knocked out or you fall in the water or whatever <laughs> you really make the rule to be. The cameraman gets bored and cuts away. He's <laughs> just not interested in following the storyline. There are very specific rules that are laid out and promptly ignored. <laughs> Anytime, anywhere. Actually, I'll do it tomorrow. Okay, fine. I'll pencil you in for next Friday. No problem. <laughs> but it's held annually on a secret island, and from across the globe come the best fighters in each fighting style. We're focused on a handful of them. Tina, played by Jamie Presley, is a pro wrestler who wants to prove she's a real fighter. Christy, played by Holly Valance, is a thief on the run from the authorities. Then there's Helena Douglas, played by Sarah Carter, who's the daughter of the tournament's now-deceased founder. Finally, there's Princess Kasumi, played by Devin Aoki, whose brother Hayate fought in the tournament the year before and was reportedly killed. But Kasumi didn't believe this, so she went to investigate, accompanied by her brother's friend, Ryu Hayabusa, played by Kane Kusugi. Instead, the tournament is now run by Donovan, and he's played by Eric Roberts, so you know he's the bad guy. Donovan has his tech Weatherby, played by Steve Howey, inject all the contestants with nanobots that record their every move. Then when he puts on a special pair of glasses, just like Dream a Little Dream 2, <laughs> they think they wear the same shades, actually. <laughs> Donovan, 
Yes, Eric Roberts can do all their fighting moves. <laughs> While wearing sunglasses indoors. It's awesome. With that haircut. I'm not going to drop the hair, man. That hair was disturbing. <laughs> he browered it from Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> Same wig. <laughs> went gray. And he kidnapped Hayate as proof that Donovan could kick ass with these glasses so that he could sell it to nefarious dudes across the globe. But with Weatherby's help, Tina, Christie, Helani, and Kasumi team up and kick his ass and blow up the building, killing Donovan in the process. And they jump to safety along with Weatherby and Hayate and return to Kasumi's country, where she's being attacked for having left because she is now Shinobi, which is a different game. Yeah, I got very, very confused when they said Shinobi. I'm like, I played that one. But the women band together to save Kasumi and go into a sequel that will never happen. <laughs> and credits roll. Never say never. Tekken 2 has taught me that you can make a sequel that has no money and no connection and they'll just do it. There may be a sequel, Arnie. There was a sequel planned. This was going to be a franchise. Mm. But after spending $20 million making Dead or Alive and bringing in about $7 million and having dismal Blu-ray sales, they pulled the plug on the sequel. So I can never say no reboot. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we'll end up reviewing a Skinamax version of Extreme Venus Vacation or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> there's none planned. Now, I think the reason is, I'm just going to put this out there. This is PG-13. Mm, I didn't look it up, but I had that feeling. Now, what I read but can't find proof of is that this was filmed to be rated R and that a fight we're going to talk about was actually filmed entirely topless and that they had to use CGI. I know they airbrushed some nipples out because there were like the boobs just disappeared into space at one point. So I know they expected to put some nudity in here, mm -hmm. but... The studio said, we're making this PG-13. We're going to attract, but not actually titillate. I think that is a damning mark. If you're going to do exploitation, exploit. Yes, that is the definition of the word, right? We're crass. We're not trying to make art. We're trying to show you exploitable elements. This movie definitely felt like it held back once it gets in here, but I was rooting for it. It may surprise some people to know that, but when I saw the trailer, I'm like, this actually looks kind of funny. There was some Something about it that had a playfulness that all the other fighting movie adaptations just didn't seem to have. I was the most excited to see DOA out of all of them. I'm right there with you, Stuart. Getting into this movie and after the opening scenes and after we get introduced to our main characters with all the graphics and the fun action that's happening, I quickly realized this is less an action movie and more a cartoon aimed at like a 12 to 14 year old boy demographic here than we are in an action movie. And I think 12-year-old boys would like to see some TNA, but what they're going to get is what seems to be like the third Charlie's Angels movie. That's how it plays here at the beginning as we meet these three different women in three different parts of Asia who are brought together for this tournament, starting with Princess Kasumi. Yeah, she's the star of the film as far as having a plot in that she's the only one who really does. The others may have character attributes, but they don't have anything in the way of an actual reason to root for them. But Kasumi here, her brother is dead. We're getting a lot of a data dump. Now this is actually based on the DOA games actually do have a plot. They have cutscenes and things. Hmm. This is pretty accurate to DOA 2 where she's going off to find this out. And yeah, she's there with 
Ryu, who is her brother's friend, and if she leaves because she's the princess, she'll be a traitor. And there's this huge number of guards, just enormous, like an end scene of Attack of the Clones number of guards waiting to stop her from leaving. Yeah, are they servants or stalkers? Because this feels like codependence at its worst, right? We love you. Lead us. We are your clan. You step out that door and, bitch, we will hunt you down and slice you up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's an honor thing for sure. So, okay, yeah, that answers a question for me. Because not being super familiar with the games, I was wondering if these characters were pulled from somewhere. Because they all do feel like tropes from video game characters that you could pick from. It's like, oh, this one's got wrestling moves. This one has ninja moves. This one's more of a sword fighter. And so from that aspect, I was like, okay, great. We're in a video game movie. We have three main characters and they all have what should be distinct fighting styles. Yeah, we're in a video game movie as well, just like technically. I mean, when we come in here on this palace, yeah, Ryu is going to tell her her brother's dead. He doesn't tell her that her empire is just completely pixelated. That's the worst (laughs) news. Like everything around you is not real. You're just standing on a green screen. This is a cheap ass looking movie. While we're talking about Ryu, did either of you play Ninja Gaiden? I remember it for Nintendo, right? I had it for the Sega Master System. That was one of those games I beat with the, uh, what was that cheat thing you could plug the cartridge in? Oh, yeah. The Game Genie. Yeah. Game Genie, there you go. Well, Ryu was actually pulled from those games by the company, so it's the same character. So he's from Ninja Gaiden, and so some of his moves here are actually paying homage to that. But the real nemesis, this is all about the women. The men really don't matter in this. We have Aani. And Stuart, you know Aani. You I do? love Aani. Oh. Typhoid Mary from Electra. Oh, damn. I didn't recognize her with purple hair, <laughs> but we've seen her before, and she was bad then. <laughs> I thought for sure you'd notice that. I did. I, I'll just go ahead and say I didn't know any of these women at all. And in fact, I get very confused. They're so interchangeable. I, we get the fight scenes. I don't know who's fighting who. It, we, I know Princess Kasumi because she is of some Asian ethnicity. I'm not sure what. Chinese, perhaps. But otherwise, yeah, th- this chick, she has purple hair. So for reasons that are hard to swallow, a outside of a deathmatch game, that Kasumi will be competing in to find out why her brother died in it last year. Guess what? It was called Dead or Alive. He lost. (laughs) But she's got to find the body and because she's leaving her kingdom to go find that body and compete, that means Ayani is going to chase after her with a big old sword. At this point in the movie, I'm still trying to follow the rules and give it everything I can to understand what it's trying to tell me. I mean, because from the get-go, we're seeing that to get invited to this DOA thing. You need to receive this flying crawl boomerang thing. <laughs> Is Batman competing? Where did it even come from? We saw it was an island. She's on a parasail. She's flying hundreds of miles out sea and somehow out of the clouds, not even robot controlled. Someone's <laughs> just got a good arm and just threw it for who knows how many miles and it hit her parasail and that's the invite. You get one of these things and you get access to a plane. And I love how she got out of there though. The way she runs over the people. I'm going to say I had it fun. It's silly. 
and cartoonish, but when she's running over the backs of her enemies and using a sword like a trampoline to bounce over the wall, and then she tears off her kimono and underneath is a fully westernized spandex outfit that leaves very little to the imagination and a hover glider that is going to take her to the mainland. I'm like, this could be G.I. Joe level silly, but I could have some fun with it. Yeah, I am having fun with it. I'm actually enjoying everything about this setup because, as you point out, I like the stunts. I don't know if the fighting's any good, but when we have wire foo, all of that stuff, every time you see someone running up a wall or yeah, doing something acrobatic, it's not Crouching Tiger, but it's close enough. And I don't like Crouching Tiger because I felt it was too ballet dancey, but this is more my speed. And... It continues when we go into the South China Sea, where we see Jamie Presley. We said she was a little trashy. They're going to play into that. She's wearing American flag bikini while drinking some Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. (laughs) Uh, Hold on a second. Hold on a second. How do you know it's Pabst Blue Ribbon? Because this movie did the one thing that really pisses me off, which is if you're going to use a real product, either get permission or make your own product. Don't just put tape over the name. <laughs> they did. They did. I saw the logo and I knew the shape. They're telling us everything we need to know about her character with her drink and her bikini. Right. And this is kind of a fun thing. The idea that back in America, she's known as a pro wrestler, like Glow. I don't even think that was a thing at this time, but she's a Glow wrestler. Her dad is also a wrestler, Kevin Nash. There was like China. Remember China? Oh, yeah. I mean, keep in mind, I stay far away from that. But yes, you're right. Around this time, there were definitely some prominent women in WWF or WWE or whatever it was. (laughs) And that's her life. And she's tired of being associated with a fake sport. She wants to prove herself. I don't know how she's going to do that by drinking PBR on a yacht. But lucky for her, there are pirates. Including, yes, Robin Shao, who, man... He needs to be in Tekken 3, right? Because he was in Mortal Kombat yep. 1 and 2, mm-hmm. showed up to show Chun-Li some moves in Street Fighter 2. <laughs> showed her something. <laughs> showed here, his ass. <laughs> now here he is. And you know how I know he is an amazing stuntman? Because he makes it look somewhat believable that Jamie Presley could kick his ass. If you are not a good fighter, you have to have a really good one who's on the losing side. And apparently she's done like 10 years of kickboxing is what she said. I think she means Tai Bo. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did some uh, hanging sit-ups. That's what she's demonstrating here. But yeah, she's hot in the American bikini. And to me, she reminds me of Jessica Simpson. I didn't really know who this actress was, but she does have that trashy fun quality and again i'm enjoying every time we're meeting these women and they're getting the invites i'm thinking yeah this should be the setup to a good tna exploitation film sure and i i appreciate that they're giving us some distinguishing features about these pretty paper thin characters you know our first character the princess is honor bound so we get to jamie presley's character and we're getting more than just a trashy american stereotype they're giving her a little bit of a sense of humor And it's something to bite onto here. I mean, it's not so much that I feel like, oh, geez, these characters are deep, but it's more than just surface level stuff that you might expect in some of these video game type of movies. Yeah, they're winning me over. And I didn't expect to like anything about this movie. The third one is the one who leaves me cold. We hop to Hong Kong to meet Christy, and she's the least defined of any of them because I understand what Tina wants. She wants to prove she's a real fighter. I understand what Kasumi wants. She wants to find out what happened to her brother. 
Christy is another blonde, so she doesn't have that much of a distinctive look versus Tina. She is British. She has an accent. Yeah, that's how I could tell them apart and different length hair. But she's a master thief, I guess. And I don't know how she's a master thief. She stole a lot of cash. They open her suitcase. It's like two inches deep only. And she's like, oh, there's nothing. And then they cut it open. Like the rest of the suitcase, eight inches is full of money. Nobody's going to open that suitcase and think you just bought seven inches of padding. No, they should have approached her as she was robbed. We're told she robbed a hotel, but she's introduced in a different hotel in the shower. It's, of course, because they want to get us to a sudsy, exciting shot. But I do think introducing her in her element, if she had been caught you know, cracking a safe, that might be a setup for what she really wants to do. I mean, she wants to go to DOA and prove that she's the greatest fighter, but her partner, Max, who is not the greatest fighter, really wants her to go so that they can go and rob the people that run it. You know, if they give out $10 million, that's a lot of money sitting around in a vault. It's just not that well-defined nor interesting. Now, this is the fight, though. She puts on her panties, she's just wearing a towel, and then she starts to kick their ass topless, this is what IMDb trivia claims was actually filmed to be a topless and somewhat bottomless fight. And when she tosses the bra in the air and we get this top down view where the bra is like landing on her arms to just perfectly cover her. Yeah, that's where the boobs are just missing. Somebody did some major airbrushing to a point where it looked incorrect anatomically. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't slow-mo, but it went by fast enough that it, it really didn't bother me. It was it's one of those things where, sure, if you're, like I said, a 14-year-old boy, it's going to be titillating. Like, ooh, you might see a little bit of a nipple here, but they know what they're doing. They're teasing. Or if you're a 43-year-old boy, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a reason I was looking and went, oh, wait, where'd half the titty go? <laughs> And yet they pull back from it being a comedy, as jiggly and silly as this movie is presenting and setting up these women. I wouldn't want to characterize it as uh, Austin Powers, you know, like this kind of feels like an Austin Powers thing where she's naked and fighting and we just never exactly see, you know, the full Monty. We don't even see the partial Monty. Yeah, I mean, it could have been played for camp. And I think they stopped just short of it being what you would define as a satire or a body Porky's style comedy. No, it's again, it's lighthearted action, but they are actually doing decent stunts here. The women all can do the high kicks and strike the poses that is needed to sell it. I mean, understand with today's technology, and I had this conversation with Stuart 10 years ago. I could be the world's next action star. I'm rooting for you. There's enough technology out there that can CGI me into positions I cannot be in. <laughs> Brown arrow already. I mean, maybe green. I mean, they kind of did it with Chris Farley and Beverly Hills Ninja, mm -hmm. but the technology is now so much better. Mm, yeah, you could definitely kick his ass. Yeah, I mean, with enough money... I could look better than Eric Roberts does in this movie. <laughs> but they're doing that here. These women can do the high kicks and strike the poses, and then their stunt doubles can actually do some moves. Yeah, there's just enough silliness. I hesitate to call it a comedy, but if you were approaching this, I had a more of a sense of wanting to participate in the fun, watching her beat up an old man and take his clothes in the elevator and stuff him in a suitcase than I did at any point in Mortal Kombat. 
combat or street fighter. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just got a kick-ass vibe to it so far. Right. And and it's about this point where you start, or at least someone like me starts to realize, oh, okay, any rules that they're trying to throw at us aren't really there to give us any information or inform us about what's going to happen. Because the whole setup of this first part of the movie is showing these women, showing their setups, showing why they kick ass, and then they get their invitation to this fight. Which makes it seem like, oh, okay, great. This is a very, very special place and only the best of the best get to go fight. But every one of them gets to bring somebody that just happens to be invited as well. And I feel like coverage didn't allow for important interstitial scenes to get shot. I mean, we go from these three intros to suddenly everyone is on a plane. We should have had one shot of someone thumbing through their invite and then following it to the airport and you just want to establish what's going on. This movie is very choppy in a way that makes me feel like it was either poorly written or they just didn't film all the scenes. Yes. I'm going to say both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah I, I agree. It definitely is poorly written, but more to the point, there are jumps when all of a sudden we're on a plane and everyone seems to know each other already. We want to savor this moment. We wanted more time to marinate. I mean, Mortal Kombat understood you needed to have that boat ride and really have people show off, and they try to do it here. It's just, it's so brief. Well, one of the strengths of this movie, though, is that it does not slow down. There is constantly going to be women jumping, women running, women playing volleyball as if they're in the next Top Gun movie. I mean, there's just constantly going to be something happening. Again, it's like a cartoon in that way. I remember being a kid and watching like Inhumanoids or something. There is not time where people aren't fighting in that pretty much. And that's what this is. It keeps my eyes on the screen as compared to if you took these actresses and put them on a boat ride and then had them have a conversation, I think my mind would already be wandering. I will second that. Jamie Presley is actually very natural in front of the camera, but most everyone else here is really terrible at reading the lines. I don't know if it's an English translation problem, but you're right. We want to just get to it because when we have the talky introduction scenes, they're the worst parts of the movie. Yeah, and you can't always say language because one of them's British. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when we do get to some of these slower, talky scenes, the scenery itself is turned up to 11. You know, I mean, this plane that they're on looks like something out of Josie and the Pussycats. It looked like, what was that band's name? Du, du jour. jour means seatbelts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look like they're shagging wagon plane. And, you know, even like the offices that they are running through and the laboratory, it all feels very 1960s techie spy type of movie stuff. So when we're supposed to be listening to exposition, they're at least giving us eye candy in the background to fade out on. All I'm saying and all I'm wanting is just to have as much fun as possible. And to me, that means savoring what you have good. The fact that another blonde, some 21-year-old named Helena, is going to pop up on a video and say, everyone jump out of the plane. It's your responsibility to get to the arena before sundown. I'm thinking, yeah, this should be a good 10, 20 minutes of watching all these people go through brush and fight snakes and just get to know one another and build character, show 
show us who they are. It's a great way to introduce them. And really, for reasons I can't even understand, only three just get off course and <laughs> parasail down to some Buddha scaffold thing. And it's just a really lame bonding scene. But Helena, something about those teeth made me realize I know her from something. I had to look her up. I reviewed her in Final Destination 2, and I saw her at San Diego Comic-Con promoting Skinwalkers. Is that some kind of porno? <laughs> it was a werewolf <laughs> movie my first year at Comic-Con, the same year DOA came out. Oh, wow. She's one of the better ones as far as acting goes. I really feel bad for Devon Aoki because she has the most to do here, but she cannot yeah. carry it. The least capable has the most story heft and the most dramatics to get through. And that's, yeah, again, I wanted to see all the characters. There was at least 12 in the game, right? And supposedly they're all here. There's like an old man and we do see Zach a little. He's a black guy with a green mustache and a green mohawk. Costuming's fine, but we want to spend a little time with unlikely comings together and pairings. I think that that is a part of a fun of a movie like this. And because they're following Enter the Dragon so closely, it just ends up being, let's get these three chicks together and see what they can do. And when they're climbing that Buddhist temple, there was so much women grunting. Marjorie asked if I was watching women's tennis. <laughs> <laughs> that or porn. I mean, it was right on the line there for a while. I take it she wasn't go even going to step into the room to find out for herself. <laughs> Anyway, my point is they're halfway doing it. I really am trying to meet this movie where it's wanting to deliver and I'm feeling like they're only partially delivering it. Like I kind of like this derivative and silly though it is, but it's just not lingering in the way that I feel a good exploitation movie would. And not just on TNA, on anything fun. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And here's the thing. I imagine they're rebooting Charlie's Angels yet again. I imagine mm -hmm. we will cover these someday, and I will be the fan. I really like that first Charlie's Angels film a lot. What does it have that this doesn't? Chemistry between actresses. Mm -hmm. Those three, Lucy Liu, Drew Barrymore, and Cameron Diaz, play off each other so well in fun ways and it's playful it's definitely a bit of exploitation but i never feel like the women are in a bad position in charlie's angels like they're teasing us but they know what they're doing they're owning their sexuality here these women just are trying to come together and form a unit they don't know each other yet but there's going to be this metaphor that's actually cut from the movie. I've watched the deleted scenes <laughs> where Kitsumi is trying to tell Tina about acupuncture and about this thing about five princesses. And she holds up her hand showing all five fingers. And apart they're weak, but together she forms a fist. They are strong. Uh -huh. And so that's what the whole thing of this movie is, is five women, you know, Helena. And the fifth one kind of eludes me. Is it Typhoid Mary? Yeah, I believe it's Ayana is hanging out in the bushes briefly. Kasumi almost falls off the scaffolding. She knows that this assassin that's sworn to get her is hanging out somewhere, but she's not competing. Why doesn't she just wait and see if this chick can find the brother that she's in love with and then kill her? 
yeah, no matter what, she left the temple, but the brother left the temple too. And they actually call Ayane out on that in the movie. It's like, but my brother left the temple. You didn't kill him. Is it because you loved him? Yeah. Which her non-response is confirmation. Yes. There is no good reason why these chicks can't come together and work together other than we're to understand that they all want to win this contest where they'll get $10 million and bragging rights for being the greatest fighter in the world. And up to this point, there's no reason for them not to work together. I mean, there's no animosity between them. They're all there for whatever reason. But at this point of the movie, we have no reason to think that they're there to do anything but fight for a prize. Well, Kasumi is there for her own reasons. But yeah, the other ones... I can understand them wanting to be competitive. By the same token, if I was going to a fighting tournament, I mean, I've seen some of those pre-boxing ring press events where you've got the two boxers on either side. They're not all buddy-buddy like, hey man, let's go. One of us is going to win. Let the best fighter win. No, they're, they're like at each other's throat the day before. Yeah. They're throwing chairs. That's to hype the audience. I mean, that's because they're trying to sell pay-per-view and get people. Because at the end of the day, both those guys are walking away with millions of dollars no matter who wins. But I, I, can, I take your point. You're right. There could be some for lack of a better word, testosterone brewing between these, these women and some machismo that they need to show off to one another. The women or the men. I mean, we've got Tina's father here and Kevin Nash. Yeah, I know him because he was in The Longest Yard, the Adam Sandler film. Oh, he's a wrestler. That's all I know. He was also Super Shredder in Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. I do remember playing this character in DOA thinking because he's a big, gruff, biker type dude i might be able to kick arnie's ass with use that but no i think you <laughs> defeated me with uh i was some little girl yes the <laughs> big tail one <laughs> he was also the russian in the thomas jane punisher in the single best punisher fight ever committed to film his character does what it needs to be he's a big american wrestler a la randy savage yeah that's his persona and she comes from that and is trying to run from that and that they're actually going to pair them up and pit them against each other again the idea and the combos that they have cooking, I'm down for this movie. I think it'll be really fun to watch an old man kick the ass of some, like, Russian muscle dude. I mean, I think the outrageousness of all of this could play out if they wanted to make that movie. But that movie is not really here. They do a brief montage after Eric Roberts comes out and greets everyone. You know, they get scanned, they get the nanobots, and we're told that fights can happen anytime, anywhere. You wear this wristband, and it'll just pop up and tell you, hey, go fight this person. We never really get to savor any of those fights. It's all done in a very junky montage where there are so many blonde women in this. I have no idea who's matched against who and who wins and who doesn't. And the guys are equally as interchangeable with the exception of Max, who's there with Christy, and Bass, who's Tina's dad, and then Ryu. The rest, I mean, I start to figure out who Bayman is right before he disappears. Jen Fu has a great look. I mean, he looks like the master from every Kung Fu film, including Kill Bill. He only shows up in a snippet, though, really. I mean, that felt like fan service directly for people who know the game. Yeah, it's very perfunctory, but, like, I think he kills Li Fang. Like, he just tosses her. We, we never see, because, again, they're so quick to cut, but, I mean, that was a really high bell tower they were fighting on. They actually have so much action in this movie, they did something I've never seen before. 
They cut fight scenes. Gen Fu fought Tina or Christy or one of them later on. And there are actual other fights that for pacing, they decided to take out. Yeah, don't pace it that way. We want, we're here for the fights. This is about what I thought was a death match where we, we would see people fight until they couldn't breathe anymore. And what we really get is a bunch of warm-up exercises and occasionally a couple of sparring that we'll never see the result of. We see things put up on a board, but we do not see victory kills exactly and that's kind of where i had a problem with this because getting to this point of the movie it's like okay so we're gonna montage all these fights but what they are doing is visually giving us the tournament brackets so i felt like okay well they're at least showing us where everybody is and where it's gonna go and this will all pay off later for the final fights they just never come so what was the point of all this other than just action for action's sake yeah pure fan service here's the characters you know from the game and in the midst of all of this, though, comes the single weirdest moment of this movie where Kasumi is apparently having a flashback. I was really lost. I'm like, when did the pirates come and take Kasumi? Because she's tied up and the pirates, different pirates, but they look like they could have all hung out together. Are there? She's a prisoner. Right. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's Hayate comes in to rescue her. Yeah, a huge Huge mistake of this movie. I don't care if it's in the video game or not. You do not need to make everything in this movie about Kasumi finding her brother. That is the least thing that I care about. I am here to watch which of these chicks is going to be the victor and how those fights are going to look. That the biggest fight is a flashback in which she's supposedly a great fighter, but has been tied to a post and waits for her brother to come in and kill people by... I love He has, like, poison <laughs> needles, but he's so bad with the aim, he just throws them in the air and then grabs them when they miss the people. No, you don't get it. They're not poison. It's deadly acupuncture. Yes, he knows exactly where to hit these people as he throws them in the air and then chases them <laughs> while they fly slow motion, allowing him to catch up physically somehow. Okay. Okay, I thought one prick would kill you, but no, he actually needs to grab these things and then plant them in the right spot. Yes. Okay. I know what acupuncture needles look like, and I'm like, why is he brought acupuncture needles? Is he paralyzing them through acupuncture? And then later on, we're going to see Kasumi giving Tina acupuncture. And Kasumi uses some of these same moves. I'm like, wow. I know there's the whole thing of the mystical Asian trope. Yes. But I've never seen them use acupuncture this way before. <laughs> right. And Kasumi even drops a line about how, you know, off by a little bit would paralyze you so the movie does try to help us out a little bit with what weirdness we're seeing with these needles but it's not enough to base a whole flashback scene on and if that's their weird fighting style fine I, again the idea is that everyone's got their own little gimmick this can be his let's see that in the ring the fact that this is a fight that happened a year ago and that he then went and they're trying to build up this whole mystery about well what would have happened to this guy when he got into the ring with Leon and we're told that this big desert storm muscle man just like 
shoved him off a ledge, and nobody was ever recovered. They couldn't bother to go down and find out where it landed. And so Kasumi is going to explore what really happened. I'm just not intrigued by that much. If the movie were giving me more base thrills, maybe that would be an extra layer. But they want us to think, like, this is the movie. And I'm like, no. Exactly. The action at this point isn't keeping me interested. And you said it earlier, Stuart. You know, if this movie would have gone more campy Mm -hmm. and more like a Austin Powers, they could have pulled a lot of this stuff off to keep us interested as some of this stuff starts to fall flat or starts to wear thin after we see it over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, they got another subplot going on. It's just one that is never... I really don't understand how they're even getting their information, but Max and Christy, again, they're here to rob the vault and just steal the prize money. And for some reason, he believes the key... This is wordplay here, but he believes the key to entering the vault is a tattoo, a tramp stamp, essentially, on the daughter of the co-founder of this DOA. That Helena has a tattoo that when you draw it and then hold that drawing up to a mirror gives you the key to a puzzle. (laughs) It's worse than that, though, because the first thing, he discovers a tattoo on her arm, and it turns out that that's just something she got in Paris last year, and it's just gibberish. It's not the key. So Christy figures this out by remembering in slow motion from a fight she had with her earlier in the day that after her hair moved out of the way in the back of her neck, she saw a face and a symbol. And so we get a whole scene of her replaying this fight in slow-mo in her head, bringing back by memory this symbol that she saw as she draws it out. It's not even good once we see the puzzle being unlocked and getting into the vault, but can we even follow a logic of why you would be like, hey, you know what, where we should put the code? Let's get my daughter and just tattoo that on her neck. Well, what is Christy doing with Tina then when they're like naked in bed together? Not enough. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, but that's when Tina's supposed to fight her dad, and the dad walks in and is like, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll fight you tomorrow. Yeah, we again, a missing scene. We have a scene where Christy and Max are making this plan to rob the vault, and then bursting through their wall is a fight. Kasumi is fighting Leon, the man that supposedly killed her brother, and she takes him out so easily, she's like, he couldn't have killed my brother, and that keeps the quote-unquote intrigue going, but... We needed a scene in which Christy says, hey, my bed is ruined. I need another bed. And Tina volunteers to put her up in her bedroom. That's what we're supposed to think happened. But I'm as confused as her father when he (laughs) burst in there to kick her ass. And it's two blonde chicks in the sheets. Yeah. And later, because of the acupuncture, the dad's going to think that Tina's with Kasumi as well. And it's kind of funny and here's the thing kevin nash might be my favorite actor in this movie just just because of his way of doing it he plays such a happy father figure that when they have to have their father-daughter fight on the rafts and they decide it's not going to be to knock out first one to get pushed in the water loses and they just have this thing and he's a proud papa and gives the thumbs up after he falls in the water you know what there's something sweet and innocent and stupid about it that I can like. It might be the Dukes of Hazard score playing in the background. <laughs> that might be. I don't like it because there are too many, all of the fights 
are silly when we're promised dead or alive. I'm thinking two men enter, one man leaves. These are going to be extreme fights. And yeah, like pushing you off a raft. Max even like gets disqualified. Like he's fighting Zach. They don't even bother to show us this, but he fakes a stomach injury or something. And so they let him off and say, well, you can fight later. I mean, what kind of rules are these? You can get a boo-boo and not compete in dead or alive? (laughs) You know, with all these different subplots and relationships going on, we haven't even mentioned Donovan, who's in the background watching all of these things with Weatherby, his geeky assistant. And now, do you guys recognize him? The, the, The actor's Steve Howie. And it took me a few minutes to figure it out because I recognize him from the American version of Shameless on Showtime. And he's kind of beefed up now. I mean, he's a bigger guy with a nice build and some muscles. In this movie, he's just a tall, lanky dude. Yeah, it's it's weird. When you go to IMDb, as I did to get the cast names, I look at him, I'm like, oh, he must have been Leon. And then I'm like, no, he just turned into Leon since making this movie. Here he is the nerd that is crushing on the 21-year-old Helena, who he's invisible to her, and this romance will play out throughout the movie. It's meant to be comic relief. But in fact, yeah, if they had just waited a few years he could have been one of the tough dudes what's funny is that role was actually cast to a name i'm going to completely butcher milo ventimiglia oh uh, yeah how do you say his name the this is us guy i know him from heroes he was supposed to be that part and he actually dropped out because he didn't like the character development of weatherby and so he went to do the Frankie Munez video game movies that we're not covering because it's not based on a real video game stay alive instead. (laughs) We all make choices and that sounds like you lose any game that you play on that. Some of them are lateral choices. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess we should like a character that is probably more like the audience, just kind of in awe and gawking at all of these Amazonian women and wants to get in there, but is stuck in the control room, kind of like players of a video game. Exactly. When he's watching the fights, the graphics on those screens, I recognize the shapes of the trapezoids around the names and everything. They made the screens to be live action versions of the DOA games we played with the names in the same spots. And everything and he's the gamer he's the gamer geek with the ever so slightly greasy hair who's just sitting there possibly a step away from when the game is over playing extreme venus vacation and turning on the nip slip bot <laughs> and he's like the only techie there is nobody else in this complex everything is being run by him he will later explain that he is the one that did the logistics of setting up this whole complex it's wired because of him and he knows that eric roberts donovan killed the father of his crush it's kind of morally suspect that he is like withholding that and hoping that she'll fall in love that should be a leading line before i like ask you out on a date i should let you know that you're playing for a man that killed your father Right, and that kind of goes to what you've been asking for, Stuart, is like an extra scene or some some exposition to explain this. But the way it comes off is they're playing this guy really one note. He's just a dork and he's just in love with Helena. And having that knowledge, like they needed to either layer this guy a little bit more and make him maybe driven by greed to a certain degree 
But then again, we already have that character. We have the greed-driven character. So there's just no room to put more stuff on this otherwise needless character. There's no room in an 80-minute movie. This movie is shockingly brief. I mean, I felt like I hit play, and to my mind, 30 minutes later, the thing was over. I'll give it that. It does race through the cliches. And yeah, it just does not afford time for the characters. I'm going to argue they should have, and they could have. They could have added 20 minutes, and not only would it... have slowed things down it would have increased our enjoyment at watching these characters interact and fight but like you said about coverage i wonder there's so little making of or information about this movie it's one that people just move on from there was an electronic press kit and a trailer and some deleted scenes on the blu-ray maybe when they got in the editing room this was all they had that was workable between the talents or lack thereof of certain stars. I mean, the director is a known director who has done good movies a lot I've never seen in out of China and then the Transporter film, but maybe due to budget or problem shooting in China that could be problematic that this is what they may have had because nobody goes in and says, let's make an 80 minute movie. Yeah, but they do find the time to do a volleyball game, which I love. I actually, I was so glad that they included it because it was so weird to play that game. Whatever. What was it called again? Extreme Venus Vacation. I don't know if it's extreme, but it's weird. Here's the funniest thing about the volleyball game. I watched the behind the scenes features. You know how there's wire work and various things. You know what they had for the volleyball game? Men in green spandex lifting the women up by their waists so they could do spikes. (laughs) It was the most lo-fi thing ever. Well, I I would have thought Jamie Presley could have spiked a volleyball. Yeah, no, there's a guy holding by the waist and like, okay, do the jump. Lift her up. She spikes the ball. It's just a guy in a suit. I guess it can't be wire work. I mean, there's nowhere to put the harness. <laughs> you got to throw a nod to it. That was the correct move. It does nothing for the plot. And again, it's so blue balling. If we're not going to see him fight in the arena, let's see girls competing in volleyball. We have Kasumi and Tina teaming up against Christy and Helena. And everyone's got their favorites. Let's see how they do. For some reason, like a Chinese star just kind of flies in and pops the volleyball. And we never even get a winner in that match. There is never any victor. It feels like in any of these fights when they get victory they just cut away like there's just no enjoyment to competition which is so strange it's such the lifeblood of a movie like this you need to feel the excitement and the adrenaline of a match be it a volleyball match or a fighting match and this movie just can't wait to cut away (laughs) yeah so if the question the movie's asking is dead or alive well, obviously, it's alive. The whole time, everybody is alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no fights to the death. The only one at risk of being dead is Kasumi and Ryu, because Ryu has gone to break into the lab to find out what happened to this long-lost brother, while Kasumi is fighting someone that actually will kill her, this Ayane, the, or the treasure, as you pointed out. <laughs> no, Typhoid Mary. Oh, Typhoid Mary. <laughs> the one who kills with the kiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this scene very much feels like it's ripping off from yet another movie, and I think we've already brought it up, Crouching Tiger, we're we're fighting amongst the bamboo, and she's going to bounce away and wire-foo herself out of the situation when people finally show up. Well, that also reminded me a little bit of Mortal Kombat. I'm like, when did they end up in this forest? You know, it was like (laughs) the Johnny Cage scorpion battle. 
Yeah, and again, I don't care why it's here, but do it up. Make it fun. I do think it's one of the better battles because you do feel like there is life and death stakes. But again, I just needed more of this kind of stuff. More of it, more exciting stunts. I really think the wire foo is good, even if the fighting itself is, hmm, depending on the actors involved, sometimes a little not credible. But I always enjoy watching people, yeah, run up trees and do these impossible kicks and flips. That could be fun enough. But I, I think they really want us to care about the mystery. And that seems to be the fatal flaw of this movie, is that I don't care what's in the lab, and I can't wait to just keep cutting back to what could Donovan really be hiding. And Eric Roberts has done all of these women a favor. He's like, I know you ladies can't act, so I'm going to be even worse <laughs> so that you all, you <laughs> novice thespians who are new to the craft, I will make you look good. I will say this about Eric Roberts. He is well known in LA for doing very low budget and independent features. He will cut you a deal. You can get him very easily. I've known people that have hired him for very small budgeted movies. The problems that come with him is when he shows up, he will not have read your script. He will not read his lines. You can hold up cue cards and he might, might say them, but he is going to mostly be napping in his trailer or other things, and you're just not going to get a commitment. Much like this movie, he'll show up, but you're not going to feel anything by his presence. Oh, no. He sleepwalks through this role, and it's funny that they even decided to pay for an Eric Roberts out that that's going... <laughs> over budget or anything but you could get a nobody to play this role i guess is what i'm saying you know people may forget but he really was a good actor in the early 80s star 80 runaway train well he was kind of over the top in that but i did remember seeing movies he was legit at one point he was legit yes exactly he was a dramatic actor who was much more famous than julia roberts in the 80s and then when it flipped and it was her time he became Schlockmaster, who for 20 bucks and a coke would show up in your trash film and give a really shitty performance. And here he is again. <laughs> and I love the scene. Love, love, love. In Brown Arrow territory all the way when they take Tina and Kasumi and Christy and put them in these tubes and extract the nanobots. And Weatherby has turned against him by this point because Helena learned his name. And so they're kind of racing up to stop him. And meanwhile... He's now got the nanobots. I think he's going to inject himself with them or something. No, he's going to put on this pair of goggles with a Bluetooth receiver in the middle. And now <laughs> he can be a super fighter. They bring out Kasani's brother, Eric Roberts does this one move and he does it twice when he's looking right at the camera and does this like dance move like he's walking like an Egyptian towards the camera, just fingers straight out jabbing towards the camera. It's a little jazz hands, yes. <laughs> it is just so funny. I'm surprised he would do it. Again, I know his reputation and normally he shows up and refuses to do what you want him to do. I can't imagine his reaction when he showed up and says, okay, you're going to be the greatest fighter of all time because you're wearing magic sunglasses and you've downloaded the fight moves of all of the people in this competition. So fight this real fighter, the perfect fighter 
even, Hayate, to prove that you got the skills. The reason why he has that hair is so they can put it on a stunt double and you will believe that it's him while they shoot from behind the entire fight. Yeah, when it's the stunt double, it's actually kind of cool. This is the best fight of the film. Mainly, it's one of the few that gets to completion and where they actually feel like they're trying to beat each other up, not just kick shoes until somebody falls over. I will give it a little bit here where it was, I mean, I'm not going to say it got me, but, you know, we got to see Eric Roberts, Donovan, get his ass kicked and then he stands up and then we see what's actually going on is that the nanobots are now able to predict how the fight will go. So that didn't actually happen. That was just showing Donovan what would happen and now he can counterattack what's coming up. I wish I had that when I was playing Arnie. I wish I could have <laughs> put on those glasses. <laughs> No, this fight, I can't believe they brought out Hayate just for this. This was his big thing. I mean, I thought he was going to be the bad guy. I really thought, like, the nanobots would have brainwashed him and Kasumi has to fight him. This makes no sense. The presumption was he was so good last year that he wanted to put him on ice. And when he sucked up all the powers of everyone else that's ever played DOA, he would fight him and beat him. I got an idea. Why not just invite him to come back? Leon's back from last year. You wouldn't have to kidnap him and create all of this intrigue. You could literally just have him go home the champion and come back and then surprise him. There's no reason to have kidnapped him or done any of this nefarious stuff other than just to telegraph to the lowest common denominator that, hey, Eric Roberts is a really bad dude. From his haircut to his plots to his upload speed. Because apparently he can't upload this program. That's all like a thumb drive. His thumb drive, like the whole... Weatherby system and is uploading it to all these buyers throughout the world and Weatherby, he does some fast typing. It's like his ninja move is his fingers go over those keys really fast and he stops it. It's 2006. This guy is video conferencing with five other people, full video conferencing. Even if he has a T1 line, which would be a lot to get on that island, it's probably satellite with high latency. And then you take most of the bandwidth for that video conference. Yeah, I could see it taking that long to upload a text document. I thought you were going to have a problem with the fact that you're right. It's 2006. And for some reason, you got all these awesome graphics. And then when he goes to do anything with coding or passwords, it's in like this crappy 8-bit font. It's like, well, what, what's going on here? Just, we understand what a password is. You don't have to dumb that down. You know, when programming, though, a lot of times I'm in just those rudimentary graphics and on a text editor on Unix, so. Yeah, it's not blowing up the 72 point on your screen, though. <laughs> but they need the nerd to do something cool. And this is his skill. Is The one thing he can do is contact the CIA and through the technology, stop Donovan. And it makes Donovan set the self-destruct. He's running away. Where I find myself getting mad is okay maybe you call it doa as hype maybe when people get in the ring they don't actually fight to the death they just kick each other out and flip them and once they got a backache that's the match in the end <laughs> but now that you have like armies of people with swords his girlfriend he's standing there on the stairs with helena and armies of men and women are racing at them with swords she gets one and intentionally doesn't use the blade to cut any of them. She's doing whatever she can to not slice into their flesh. I'm really getting mad now. We need to have a bloody fight. There's not a drop of blood in this movie. Yeah, even PG-13. I mean, come on. We know that 
you can do a little bit of that. It's not going to have the geyser fountain missing limbs of Kill Bill, but you can do a lot more than what they're doing here. This feels like one of those stunt shows. Remember I mentioned Mortal Kombat and Mutant Ninja Turtles had those stunt shows that go on the road and they just do these moves and pantomime fighting and you go, wow, look at them flip, look at them leap. That's what this feels like to me as we're watching them flip and leap. But you mentioned with Tekken that no blows were connecting. Here, it doesn't even feel like blows should be connecting. This feels like a very fast dance of blocking where... The loser is pre-decided because they're not a main character or they're a villain. And yet, while it's stylistic, I like when they're throwing the chains and things on the ladder at the end. Their Donovan is on a horizontal ladder. It's kind of an Indiana Jones-ish moment. And mm-hmm. he pulls the chains and does this kick. All the moves are highly stylized, but none of it feels violent. Here's the thing. I like the stunts. I don't like the fights. And I make a clear distinction. The stunts are, hey, there's two ladders over this high ravine and we're going to run around and flip on them. Great. That's fun. But then when we flip off and it's time to punch and kick that stuff is awful true and i think it's maybe because we've watched so many fighting movies lately that it's just not bothering me that there's no compelling fights here i guess i am more into like you say the stunt work that I am seeing anybody get their individual asses kicked. Yeah, and the stunt works pretty good. I mean, again, it's not that I'm totally checked out. This movie is not dead, but I am really frustrated that we aren't getting deaths. And I don't even understand why it's called Dead or Alive. I don't even know why they decided to go DOA on it when that's not what DOA stands for (laughs) in the original video game. But yes, we do get... Probably half the budget spent on the special effects shot because Kasumi has used her acupuncture to paralyze Donovan and the building is self-destructing and we get to see him turn to a little bit of ash before fire engulfs him. I didn't even notice that. He died? Yeah, he dies and you get to see the flames coming and like his back turns to ash. And Oh, it's a very poor after effects effect. I mean, <laughs> he's a still in the shot and the fire engulfs him. But yeah, it's it's something that they thought they had and then they decided, well, we might as well just go with it. Admittedly, earlier the week we recorded this, Facebook had a little camera phone effect where Thanos would turn you into dust and it looked better than Eric Roberts turning <laughs> into ash here. But still. Too true. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm not getting a whole lot out of him. He was going to run away with his big henchman, Bayman, with a bunch of money, and nobody ends up getting the money. Basically, lots of people jump off the Buddha and end up in the water, and Jamie Presley has a rematch with the pirates and takes their boat and and everyone's friends. I'll say the jump off of the big temple when you've got the four women all falling from a real height there, it looks really nice. I mean, I know nothing in this movie is real. I don't know why they filmed it in China when they could have borrowed George Lucas's green garage and just green screened everything. But yeah, it looks really nice when they do that. You're saying poster shots. Uh, There are still images where it looks like that would be a great still in a better action movie. But is that enough? I'm really confused. Kasumi You'd think she'd be declared a hero for bringing home the long-lost brother a week later. The movie chooses to end like this temple has still got a grudge that she walked out and brought Hayate home. Well, it's an honor code thing. They're not going to bend the law just because she was right. There have been so many laws broken in this movie. Uh, Gravity (laughs) and like the rules of you must fight. No, I'm going to do it tomorrow. (laughs) 
(laughs) This is the one grounding law that this movie, I guess, is going to stick to. But you're right. It's a dumb conceit to end on. It was a dumb conceit to start on. And again, I want to point out, okay, I don't care why it's happening. 300 guards with swords are rushing at five women. Let's get it on. Nope. I guess we have to wait for a sequel because they, yet again, cut away, don't show. We wouldn't want you to have any enjoyment out of this moment, would we? Well, did you have any enjoyment out of this movie? Justin Stewart, do you recommend Dead or Alive? Or is it just DOA? Justin. Uh, this one kind of took me on a little bit of a roller coaster ride. You know, I wasn't sure what I was getting into with this movie. Like I said, I wasn't really into the video game series and the times I did play it, nothing from those games stuck with me enough to think, oh, geez, I'm going to see so-and-so in a movie now. So I wasn't coming in with any of that, but the high paced action that this movie kicks off with kind of surprised me a little bit. It's like, oh, okay, so this is going to be an adrenaline rush, a ride of a movie. And it kind of fluctuates all the way through. But Stuart brought it up early. This movie won't dedicate itself to being one thing or another. It just kind of walks right through the middle without ever going a little too far and being a straight-up comedy or going the other way and being straight-up action with a few one-liners and some good fights. It's just trying to do all these things and not doing any of them particularly well. But having said that, it's super fast and I was never really bored. I never found myself watching on my iPad or looking at my watch or staring off. It moves at a brisk pace. So given that, I can't be too harsh on it. I wasn't expecting anything and I walked away not taking much away from it. But I also wasn't offended by it. You know, it's not one of these movies that I'm going to have nightmares about. Oh, geez, I had to sit through DOA. It, it was fine. I guess my biggest disappointment is, is that it couldn't live up and actually be a brown arrow. It's just good enough to not be recommendable. So that's kind of where I land on it. So that's a red. It's just on this side of red. Yep. Stewart. I'm right there with you. I mean, I feel like I didn't ask for much. I came here to party with these chicks and watch jiggle and silly stunts and death matches And there is a long history of filmmakers from Andy Sedaris, who made those 90s hard ticket to Hawaii and Savage Beach, or or Russ Meyer even, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. You know, you can do this and everyone can go on board. Even if you don't want to ogle women, everyone can have fun and get high off the octane of camp. If this were a movie that reveled in what it was producing, then I think... I could go with it. I mean, honestly, if they got $3 million together and did pickup shots, I think I could turn around and give this very movie a recommend if they inserted the right things. That's how close they got to what they were trying to do. But sadly, DOA cannot be a green arrow because it just doesn't know how to savor. It's an exploitation movie that is modest. It doesn't want to show you anything that it has to offer. The only compliment I can give it is when I think about all the fighting games that have been adapted to movies, and if I had to rewatch any of them, this would be my pick. It's only 80 minutes long. It's not going to tire you out. And I do think that they have a lot of fun assets here that are sadly unexploited. As far as the video game series goes, this is still probably in the top quartile. (laughs) You know, it is certainly not dead on arrival. And given that I was expecting something of Tekken 2 level or something. Mm, God, we'll never get that again. (laughs) 
Oh, we're about to get to House of the Dead 2, which is yet another, <laughs> you bull won't even return for this sequel. So, yeah, we're going to get there again. But it's honestly not all that bad. It kept moving, and it has a visual style that I actually really respect. There's a couple of cool scenes, and again, it's all fake CGI, but when... Kasuni throws her kimono up and it lands on the sword and just cuts right in half to show us how sharp they are. Or when she's attacked and splits the mirror down the middle and you get to see half of each other's face. That would have meant a lot more if they would have been opposite sides of the same coin. <laughs> you know, if they'd been doppelgangers, princesses from Warring Kingdoms or something. But it still looked pretty. And a comparative I had with this is a movie that came out a few years later, Sucker Punch, where you had a lot of women in a very stylized movie kicking a lot of ass. That one for Zack Snyder, both of which completely objectify the women they're at, be it fetishistic schoolgirl outfits or let's just put them in bikinis all the time. But this one at least owns up a little more to what it wanted to be than Sucker Punch does, and it's less pretentious. The problem is... I just couldn't connect with any of them. Despite liking Jamie Presley and other works, here, I think she's merely okay. I don't think, despite her 10 years of kickboxing, that she pulled off the moves. I don't think any of them really pulled off the moves, and most of them didn't pull off the lines. And so, while I didn't have a bad time with it, there's nothing in this movie, not even as much as what Tekken had, to say, you should go watch it. If they'd gone deeper in any way if they had a completely topless fight and just been like damn i can't believe they did that or if they'd gone more violent or if they had a plot that was not recycled from so many other movies i'd like to give this movie a recommend it has my goodwill mm -hmm. but it doesn't have my green arrow yeah, I, I get it. I mean, we should walk away from this covered in blood and suntan oil and just a silly grin on our faces. And it was more like, again, pickup shots. You could keep the framework of this movie and then go film all of the close-ups. It's just, we want to see close-ups, blood. We want to get in there and we really want to just get into this stuff. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't here. I don't understand the logic behind studios who think, we're going to make this movie that's going to be an exploitation film or it's going to be a raunch film. And yet they also think we're going to completely abandon our audience because we need to appeal to teenage boys with their spending dollars. So let's make sure they can get in without having to sneak in. And so let's make it PG-13, thus making it neither fish nor fowl. You're not going to serve either master if you try to make a raunch film for 12-year-olds. Yeah, you needed an R-rated movie for sure, but I think you're underselling PG-13. They could have done more with the rating that they were given than what they chose to do. Yeah, they could have. This does feel like we all got together, we got up early, we packed a lunch, we went down to the beach and got all excited to watch some TNA jiggling at a beach volleyball tournament, and we sat down, we got sand in our shorts, but we're going to stick it out, but it got rained out. Yeah. And so we walk home wet and sandy and didn't even get the payoff. So that's kind of what you just kind of felt left with after this 87 minutes. Yeah. And I want to just put this out there. It's not just that they didn't do nudity. It's that this film is like 
one of those bikini car wash films that should air on Cinemax at 11 o'clock at night. It has nothing else going for it except a nice visual style. If you're not going to bring great writing, you've got to push the envelope in some other way. The CGI here just isn't good enough to make up for the lack of balls in this movie. Or other body parts, as it were. I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen them, but I take you at your word, Arnie. Charlie's Angels movies are PG-13, and I'm betting they're a whole lot more fun than what was done here. And we're running out of movies I can think of where I might have even given a brown arrow. I know when we get back to video games in three weeks, there's no way I'm recommending House of the Dead. I've seen it twice. Oh, Ouch. Once with you. I saw it once alone. Mm. And it was so awful. Alone in the dark, even. <laughs> Actually, it was alone in the middle of the afternoon. Mm. But it was so awful that when you came over, I had still had the rented disc from Netflix. That's and I'm right. like, I was just bitching. You made me watch it. I did. You did. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even want to go near it. It was like, hey, do you want plague? No, I don't. Well, you're gonna get it. Here, eat the rat. <laughs> Does this taste off to you? Yeah. Drink it. <laughs> it was very much that experience. I don't remember much about it other than it being agonizing. And who could expect anything else when it's coming out of an ooey bowl? Uva bowl. Ooh. Yes. All I remember, all I remember is its opening line, which I'll never forget. It's seared into my memory. Mm -hmm. The worst opening line of all cinema. Everything would have been fine if I just hadn't gone to that rave. <laughs> I, I feel that way all the time. <laughs> And will again when we get there. But first, before we get to the rave and rave to the grave, we must do legitimate movies that are in movie theaters, like The Nun. Next week, we're going to get that Conjuring spinoff that I knew they were going to do. This one looks cool, though. It looks a little more Italian, Suspiria-ish. I, I have some hope that our curse of watching unsatisfying Conjuring movies might come to an end. Yes, will this conjure up the first green arrow from Marjorie or me? Yeah. I wonder. I'm surprisingly not dreading it. No, I'm not dreading it either. And at the start of the year, when I was looking at all of our theatrical releases, it and Teen Titans were the two that I was just like, you're going to have to drag me there. You're going to have to put a winch on and drag me in. And now having seen the trailers, which actually had some legitimate jump scares. Yeah, the nun does not look so bad. I'm hopeful that it could actually entertain and i'm happy it's rated r oh i didn't realize but i have more optimism for it strangely than i do for the return of the predator which i mean i'm hoping that previews lie oftentimes they're different than what you see but the movie that they're teasing i don't want to see it's shane black he yep. usually doesn't steer me wrong i really love kiss kiss bang bang i really love the nice guys Iron Man 3 is not the worst Marvel film, though it's one of them, but <laughs> I'm hopeful. I mean, I talked to the screenwriter of this at a convention. I'm really hopeful that it's going to bring Predator back. Predator really has had one good movie and one okay movie. It's like the world's worst franchise that won't die with the two AVPs and Predator 2 with, was it Willy the voodoo guy? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm hopeful that it will be one of the three best Predator films ever. <laughs> <laughs> that bar is so fucking low. <laughs> 
At any rate, I'm sure both of them will be so much better to House of the Dead when we finally get to House of the Dead and House of the Dead 2. We'll be back into the video game shithole with those two films. Scariest thing that'll happen to you this week, and we're seeing The Nun. No! I just held the DVD case for House of the Dead in front of Stewart. I wish the movie was as good as that. what that poster looks like. And that poster does not look good. No. I get the feeling we're going to have to come up with new and exciting ways to start destroying more DVDs. Yeah, start looking for your flammable uh, materials now. We're going to fire up the flamethrower. <laughs> but does it blend? <laughs> <laughs> and then this weekend, if you are a now playing patron, you're going to get a surreal Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz rom-com sort of yeah paranoid puzzle movie it's a marriage of two unlikely flavors that i'm not sure go well together but we're gonna try and break them down in the lab molecularly and see what vanilla sky really is and what it really tastes like i think we could just call it jerry Maguire's ladder <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's been a patron pick and there's a lot to discuss and we'll be doing it fully on that show so show me the money, because it's a Cameron Crowe, Tom Cruise thing, and be a patron, and you can hear Vanilla Sky this weekend, and then also next week, our Silver Donation Series for Fall starts. Yes, I know, we just ended our spring donation, mm. but you're getting more movies than ever from us for the same amount of money, so hopefully you can join us as we do some Italian horror Suspiria. Yes, oftentimes cited by horror enthusiasts as one of the greatest horror movies of all time. I'm not sure about that, but it certainly is unforgettable, and it's building to an incredible-looking remake. I think a lot of people in America may not know the name Dario Argento or Suspiria, but you're going to want to. If you like the horror genre, it's definitely a movie you're going to want to see, and after you see it, you definitely want to talk about it. We'll be there when you're ready in two weeks. Yeah, and I'm sure that if you haven't heard of it now, you guys are going to want to play catch up when November comes and the remake hits theaters. Oh my God, that is the most excited I am for any movie this year. That trailer is amazing. And that really does seem like part of the marketing on that movie as well, too, is letting us know that it is a remake. Mm hmm. Yeah, just that Tom York score in that trailer. It's amazing. So, all of that coming from now playing. So, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time. Game over. I am done wrestling. I'm done being fake. I'm done. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I felt the earth move. That's the desired effect. No, really, I felt the earth move. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. I'm your servant. But if you leave, I'm honor-bound to kill you. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Super Mario Brothers, Warcraft, Doom, Resident Evil, Alone in the Dark, Need for Speed, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Tekken, Mortal Kombat, It Came from the Desert, Tomb Raider, Rampage, Wing Commander, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, and more. What a shame. You didn't download my moves.
Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. All contestants are online. All metabolic functions and muscle movements are being broadcast ready to download the computer. Great. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing Now Playing. If we're going to make it, we need to work together. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. If you refuse my simple request, they die. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Buyers from around the world, I hope you've enjoyed this live demonstration of the sheer power of this new technology. Thank you for your down payments. Transmission to you of the download program will begin immediately. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Show me the money. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I knew you'd miss me. That's presumptuous. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. May I please remind you the importance of this procedure? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Come on, follow me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Your destiny is to lead your people. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Steve and Arnie. All your hard work right here. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I can have some fun. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Why do you invade my privacy this way? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You believe the CIA will stop me? I don't think so. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go home. Ask for forgiveness. You have a responsibility to your people. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Thanks a lot, bitch.
Hey. Oh, yeah. I first caught her eye in the movie Can't Hardly Wait, where she you played... You caught one- her eye? You wish. <laughs> <laughs> Love me as you play the game. Love me. Take that hat off. Yo, you the I remember Rothrock well. I was introduced to her because she did not one but two movies with Corey Haim. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, seriously. That can't have been good for anyone. <laughs> the first one was not bad. Yeah. It was about a father and son bank robbers, and the father was with Cynthia Rothrock, and Just then she stop. tries to betray them. Yeah, and- okay. <laughs> I remember that movie. You do? <laughs> yep. Thank you. <laughs> I don't go near. We, we, they're not together. There's no reason to do a Corey movie on its own. Yo, <laughs> So she went to investigate, accompanied by her brother's friend, Max, played by Matthew Marsden. Wait. No, nope. that's not the right guy. Yeah. Hayabusa. <laughs> I got that way fucking yeah. wrong. Max or Hayabusa. <laughs> <laughs> so easy to confuse. He's actually named Ryu, but they're like, we cannot do that. That's mixing video games. Yo, Ryu Hayabusa. Accompanied by her brother's friend, Ryu Hayabusa, played by Kane Kusugi. And you know, wait, no, that's wrong game. Robin Shaw is here. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, but he wasn't Ryu. He was unnamed pirate. No, he was... No, he's the pirate. But he wasn't ever Ryu, because Ryu was Street Fighter, but he's Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's uh, Johnny... er, No, uh, no, it's uh, Liu Kang. Thank you. I have to go through the song if I need to remember the name. Liu Kang. Well, there's so many Bruce Lee ripoffs in all these games. Sonya. Mutaro. Yes, I just pulled Mutaro out, bitches. Pretty impressive. That's not a Pokemon. We'll find out that next year. <laughs> Liu Kang's filed way back there, but... <laughs> <laughs> Mutaro's gone. Mutaro is up there. I got it. Yo, I looked this up. Eric Roberts has been in over 500 movies and television shows, and I think he's played the bad guy in all of them. I really think this guy's going for a world record or something. Yeah, I. we could talk about this now. Or I'll, t- I'll say it later, but I have a story on him. <laughs> You are doing a plot, right? Yes. <laughs> like, I forget. <laughs> I mean, I could just do a half hour riffing on the people that hired Eric Roberts to do their movie and the nightmare that it was. <laughs> to be fair, there's really no plot until about 45 minutes into the movie, so it is kind of wandering for the beginning of the plot summary. And we get to Jamie Lee Presley's character. and yeah, Jamie she, Presley, like we, should not Jamie Lee. Jamie Lee Presley. <laughs> That'd be a surprise. Uh, she did put on leotards and do perfect, if you remember that. Nice. Oh, my Yoga God, movie. yes. Yo, you the Playing Arnie. I wish I could have put on those glasses and predicted what moves I, he it had. It wouldn't have helped you. It I had a dog in my face. <laughs> it's true. I, there was no glasses that could help me on playing that game. I was just a loser. <laughs> Like that one snippet. I did feel like I was teaching my nephew a lesson again. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you the 